Uh, good morning, church. Uh, I'm Dave, one of the pastors here. And uh, as Mark said, we're starting a vision series this morning. And uh, it is a good time, if you are new or newer, to get a feel for what we're all about. The, the idea of a vision series has kind of a double meaning. Uh, one, it is uh, a description of our preferred future. Um, and it is also kind of the way that we see things as a church, uh, the way that we view ministry and see our work as a church. Uh, give you a brief history of the Grace Works. Um, I feel a little bit weird saying some of this because I wasn't there at the beginning. Uh, our family joined the Grace Works uh, probably about a year into its its life. But the Grace Works is a church plant out of Emmanuel Bible Fellowship in Olympia. Uh, they had a, a goal of growth, and rather than just getting bigger, they wanted to grow more and plant churches. Well, uh, Pastor Kevin, who's the, uh, the lead pastor of the Grace Works, had been uh, at Emmanuel Bible Fellowship doing a number of different roles. Uh, if you asked him, he would say that God was training him up to be a church planter, although he didn't know it at the time, by serving in various different roles and different ministries and seeing how a whole church works. Uh, but he was on staff there and uh, was called to be a church planter. So that was back in, uh, the first service was 2010, uh, Easter of 2010. Um, as a church plant, the Grace Works wanted to continue planting churches. Uh, that's where we come in. So less than four years later, the DuPont campus was uh, started as a plant and uh, as another campus. Um, again, the, the Graceworks is, is committed to church planting because we believe that that is a fantastic way to have more people involved. Uh, a lot of times people who um, might not darken the door of a church, uh, typically, uh, if there is a new church, uh, especially maybe meeting in a school, which was where um, our Lacey campus first met in a, in a middle school. Uh, sometimes people are a little more prone and comfortable uh, in that situation because everyone's familiar with school. Um, not as many people are as comfortable walking into a church building. Um, but uh, that, so that was in, uh, in 2014 when the DuPont campus started. And uh, we, we keep talking about church planting and keep looking at where the next church plant is going to be. Currently, we're, we're talking about a Tumwater uh, plant. And this is, this is the idea of growth as a church. We always want to be thinking and growing and asking the question, what's next and where's next and who and what community needs the gospel? Um, in uh, 2019, we merged with River Ridge Covenant Church, uh, which had a building right across from where the Lacey campus was meeting. And uh, that was right before COVID. So that was an interesting uh, time period as we merged with the church and, and we're trying to get to know each other and uh, figure those things out. And then uh, COVID hit and a lot of church changed uh, for everyone for quite some time. But... Um, Anyway, that was the idea of, of having a church building down there in Lacey. Uh, the idea behind that is, is hopefully to have a hub where we can uh, continue to plant more churches. Um, that's, that's what we want. 
Um, we're going to be talking a little bit about the vision and the vision statement of uh, the Grace Works and and what we emphasize. Uh, sometimes these are called strategies, as Mark mentioned before. Uh, sometimes pillars. Um, I kind of I kind of prefer pillars because these are the things that we really build ministry on and, and focus and, and emphasize. And that's worship services and families and community groups and service outreach. We, we kind of have the philosophy of trying to do a few things well uh, at the Grace Works. doesn't mean that we always do, um, but I think we stand a better chance of doing a few things well than trying to do everything. Uh, it's very difficult uh, to do everything and try to please everyone with a whole bunch of programs and other things. And we'll get into to why we don't do a whole lot of programs. And I don't remember who, who it was that said every yes is a thousand no's. Uh, so we do say we do say no's to no to some things in order to say yes and to try and and put the most excellence in in those things that we have chosen. Um, the other thing we do want to acknowledge is that um, we take the Bible seriously and we try not to take ourselves too seriously. Uh, we don't we don't believe leadership of the Grace Works doesn't believe that this is the only way to do church. Uh, we've made some strategic decisions on how to do how to do ministry and what to emphasize, um, but but by no means do we think that we're God's gift to the church um, or God's gift to ministry. Uh, we just we enjoy what we do, and um, and again have have made some decisions along the way as to uh, what kind of flavor and personality the Grace Works will have. But hopefully we can we can shed a little bit of light on on who we are and what we what we value here. And the first thing would be the name. Uh, names are very important. And uh, when we talk about the Grace Works, a lot of people think that the name the Grace Works came from a, a wordplay on Grace Works. Well, while that's a true concept, that's not actually where the name came from. The idea or the concept that we tried to portray through that name, including the the, that's very important for domain names and otherwise, but, but is this idea of as an iron works or a steel works or glass works works with certain raw material, right? And iron works, works with what? It's not a trick question. Iron, steel works, glass works, dream works. That is a trick question. This is money and movies. But the grace works... The grace works is the idea behind it is to be like an iron works or steel works, taking a raw material, God's grace, really the only thing that we have, and to be able to uh, transform and, and manipulate it, uh, that into some different, um, some different means and disperse that out. Like that's the idea. So we take a raw material and and it just passes through us to others. That's the idea behind the grace works. Grace is an incredibly important word in in our faith in Christianity. And I would and I would argue that it's really what sets Christianity apart from a man-made religion. Most man-made religions would say, here's what you need to do to earn favor with God. And yet, 
the concept of grace is the exact opposite. The, the best definition of grace or the simplest would be undeserved favor, being given something that we don't deserve. And grace permeates God's relationship with us because we do not deserve a relationship with God. We are born with a problem, and that problem is sin. We have a sin nature, meaning we have a tendency, a proclivity to like things that destroy us and other people. We have a tendency towards anger. We have a tendency towards lust, towards pride, towards jealousy, towards anger. And those things are relationship killers. The good news is that God knows this and he has provided a way to be saved from that. And that's through sending his son Jesus to die for us. What we earn, uh, the Bible says, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. What we earn is death. That's what we deserve. Death and eternal separation from God. This is where grace comes in. Because that's what we deserve. What God offers us is eternal life and a rebuilding of the relationship with God. Man-made religion says, do this. Jesus says, here's what I've done for you. As we think about this idea, hopefully you've, you've seen at the GraceWorks that uh, relationships built on grace is kind of that tagline or, or kind of that vision. That's, that's what we want to be about. We want to be about relationships built on grace. And, and again, this, this problem of sin that we encounter affects our vertical relationship with God and it also affects our horizontal relationship with other people. The idea of having all of our relationships built on grace is important, but it begins with that relationship with God. Where our sin breaks that relationship and God provides, through grace, the way to heal that relationship and be restored. But it doesn't just stop there. Because having an understanding of, of a healed relationship with God and how grace permeates that relationship can help us in all of our other relationships that, again, are still broken through sin. And so we want to use what we know about God and the way that he interacts with us in a gracious manner to be able to interact with others in a gracious manner as well. That's the vision. And again, this is or should be the vision of, of any Bible teaching church. Right? Maybe some different maybe some different language, but this is the idea behind every church. It's all about relationships, a relationship with God and others. So however you want to say it, love God, love people, making disciples, uh, sharing the gospel, this is what every Bible-believing church should be about. 
I did want to go through a couple of different concepts, though, where we see uh, grace and to distinguish a couple of different things. I know there's a lot of, a lot of words up there, but I'll go through um, each of these. So we want, we want to understand a, a, the uniqueness of salvation and discipleship. Uh, sometimes salvation is called justification. Uh, sometimes discipleship is called sanctification. And grace is, is incredibly important in each of these. Um, but we want, we want to emphasize the role that each plays in each believer's life. And so salvation is initiated by God through grace. Uh, in, in fact, um, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Right? God is the initiator of salvation. So the, the fact that we can respond to God in belief um, simply means that God initiated the whole process and carries us through that whole process because he is sovereign. We are not the center of the universe. And that's really important to remember. I need to remind myself of that often. Um, otherwise, other people will. Discipleship, on the other hand, and again, these, these terms and processes are interrelated, um, but they are distinct enough. Discipleship is something that and I want to say this carefully, that we initiate. Again, God is sovereign. God enables us through his grace to follow Christ. Um, but it is, it is something that we need to be a part of and involved in. Right? Our response to God's, um, to God's grace and his love is faith in regards to salvation. That is what saves us. When a person believes that Jesus died and rose from the dead to pay the penalty for our sin, which we deserve, that enables someone to cross the line from unbelief to belief and from eternal death into eternal life. That is that moment. But it's far from being done at that point, which is where discipleship comes in. So once a person has placed their faith in Jesus, we have a responsibility to work that salvation out for the rest of our lives. Again, in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, Paul follows up that writing talking about faith and how that's God's gift. He said, but we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So this is very, very important. We are not saved by good works. But we are saved for good works. Does that make sense? Okay, not saved by it. That's man-made religion. That's trying to get to God. Christianity is God coming to man. Okay, so there's nothing that we can do do to earn God's favor. But we do have a responsibility to do good works throughout the rest of our life. 
as a response to God's grace. At the point of salvation, we receive a perfect standing in heaven. Right? We become a new creation. And yet, from a discipleship standpoint, we still struggle with sin. At least I sure do. And everyone else that I've ever known still does. And so, from that perspective, we're not perfect yet. Even though God sees us as perfect, he sees Christ's righteousness instead of our unrighteousness, which, will, which helps us through judgment. Um, but we're working towards being more perfect. Now, we just got done studying First uh, and Second Peter, and in there Peter says, be holy as I am holy, right? That is that process of, of discipleship and sanctification, being made holy. That's what sanctification means. Uh, there are several judgments that are coming. And in the one judgment, salvation... When we are saved, again, we are seen by God as uh, Christ's righteousness, not our own unrighteousness. And so with that, we are allowed to enter into eternal life with God. And yet there is, a, there is another judgment where all of us will be judged according to what we have done, what we have thought, what we have said. And we will be rewarded accordingly. So we have a responsibility, again, to work out that salvation for the rest of our life. Salvation is not just fire insurance and then we're good. It's a relationship. Salvation is because God loves us. Right? It happens. He doesn't need us. He wants us. He loves us. Discipleship is because we love God. Now again, yes, it's also because God loves us and wants the best for us, and discipleship is the best route. But again, in, in, uh, in some distinctions of these terms, I want to make that clear. Salvation is because God wills it. Discipleship is more about bending our will to his. It's a process. And when we read the Bible, we'll see scriptures that talk about salvation in terms of believing and, and knowing and having faith. Whereas a lot of verses talking about discipleship and that process would be more like obeying and and uh, counting the cost and giving up everything to follow Jesus. And yet grace in both of those areas is evident. As I said before, it permeates everything about Christianity. I wanted to take some time and, and end with a parable that Jesus said. Um, but before we get to that, uh, I want you to take a look under your seats and those around you. 
Go ahead. See if see if there's a paper. There's a couple. There's a couple papers, kids. We might need you on this one because uh, someone might not be sitting in the seats. There are a couple sheets of paper hanging under a couple of chairs. So if you find one, come up and uh, and see me. Oh, there we go. I think I think we might have found a couple of them. There we go. Did you find it? Come, come up and see me. Yeah, Travis, come on up. Oh, yeah, who's good? All right, awesome. Here's just a small illustration. There you are. Sweet. I know, sweet deal, right? Oh, yes, come on up, buddy. This can be a happy day for you. Here you go. Okay? Yeah, you guys can have a seat. Okay? Simple illustration, right? Did did they work for that money? No, they didn't. They just found something, right? Simple illustration of a little bit of grace. The prize is undeserved. But I want us to read a parable. And I want us to understand some of the challenges that living a grace-filled life can give us. So in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, Jesus tells this parable about laborers in the vineyard. Uh, he, He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for the vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius, which is about a day's wage. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last workers worked only an hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose to do? Or am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. This parable explains a function of the kingdom of heaven, or or essentially how God works, his economy, so to speak. And that's that those who come to the Lord later receive the same grace. Salvation. A place in heaven. A relationship with God for all eternity. 
Now, some have seen the parable as, as comparing Israel and non-Jews uh, coming to the Lord, um, so historically later. Um, that's just kind of a, that's a wider lens for the same concept of, of grace and sometimes our reactions to it. So I think it's a fair question when talking about grace and generosity to ask, do we begrudge it when it applies to others? You know, when we realize that, that what we deserve is death and separation from God, it should give us a very different perspective and appreciation for what we have. But how many of us often focus on what we don't have? Speaking only for myself, <laughs> I don't want to put anyone else, else on the spot, I do that often. Thank you for your honesty. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. That would have been really awkward. But we often focus on what we don't have. Now, walking into service today, I'm guessing that about 100% of you didn't expect to get any money today. So almost everyone is getting exactly what they expected. Right? Except for two. Two got more than they were expected. Right? But I'm curious how everybody else feels about that. Now, it was only 10 bucks. So probably most of you are like, fine, no big deal. It's 10 bucks. Somebody got 10 bucks, good for them. What if it was more? What if it was 100 bucks? What if it was $1,000? What if it was $10,000? What, what about $100,000? What is the tipping point? And maybe I'm revealing my own sin nature in this. But what is the tipping point where everyone else would start feeling a little jealous? A little bit like, that's not fair. <laughs> Marcel. Ah, it would be the point where you thought you were better. Well, sure. Because look, look around you, right? Like Jonathan's like in the front row. Like certainly he deserves 10 bucks if anybody does. Right? Everybody else got here. Right? Don't, wouldn't we deserve it? Like Marcel was saying, are, are, we, are we better than somebody else? Like I could do more with that than somebody else. We don't often, we, we love grace when it applies to us. For everybody else, we usually want justice and fairness. For those, for those who are not sure about whether you believe in Jesus, right? his sacrifice is available to you. It is the grace of God to save you from your sin. For those of us who have trusted in Jesus, who have experienced the grace of God in the most powerful way, again, we're far from done. Right? This grace that we have experienced is to play itself out throughout the rest of our life in all of our relationships. We are to rejoice when other people experience the grace of God. We should want it even those that don't deserve it. 
because no one deserves it. No one deserves it. We don't deserve it. We just received it, right? We, we found something. We found the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. It changed our life. But does this play out in our daily lives? Especially when people hurt us or do things to us or, or do things that we disapprove of. Right, what's your first what's your first thought about people when they do something to you? Is it I really hope they experience the grace of God. And maybe this is an opportunity for me to share some of that grace, right? Like a grace factory. Raw material of grace flows through me out to somebody else. I've had a fair amount of experience uh, recently-ish with theft. Right? My first reaction when somebody steals something from me is not, well, I really hope they find Jesus. It should be. It absolutely should be. But my first thought is usually justice, vengeance. You know? I wish I were a vigilante. But our first reaction should be, because we understand this grace from God, our first reaction should be, how can I be gracious in this situation? Wanting others to experience the grace of God is a, is a mindset and an action. Right? We get to be a part of people experiencing the grace of God. We get to be a part of that. In our conversations, in our interactions with others, we need to remember that no one deserves grace. That's the whole point of the word. And yet God has given his grace to us. So what choice do we have except to extend grace to others? Lest we be like those who are complaining and grumbling that they didn't get more grace than others. So when you think about it, the amount of grace that we can show others pales in comparison to the amount of grace that God has shown us. So we want all of our relationships to be built on grace. Our marriages need to be built on grace. Our parenting needs to be built on grace. Our, our co-working relationships need to be built on grace. And I'm not saying that there aren't consequences. But friends, I, I also realize that some of the things that we have, our time, our energy, our resources, money, those are, those are finite but grace is not like that. You will not run out of grace. We have a functionally inexhaustible supply from God. So, if someone is rude to you, they don't deserve a gracious response, but shouldn't that be our choice? If someone needs help, maybe they don't deserve it. Maybe they've made bad choices. 
but let's think about God's relationship with us. God helped us out of a situation that we could not get out of ourselves, the problem of sin. Impossible without God's grace. So how could we not help someone? If someone needs forgiveness, how could we not extend forgiveness because God has done the same thing for us? While a lot of things in our lives are limited, the gracious attitude with which we interact with others has no limit. I pray that we would be a church that understands that and helps people to experience the grace of God through us.